from BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast, is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Hey guys, Steve here. You are listening to one of our original 26 episodes. If you've listened to any of our new episodes, you're going to notice that we're sounding a little different in these ones. Yeah, there's a reason for that. There is. They've been remastered. They have been remastered. Because they had a really annoying hum. Yeah, I mean, a huge thanks to uh, listener James for doing almost all of the legwork on this yes. thing. Yeah. You'll also notice if you had listened to what we're calling the Lost 26 episodes before, and you're re-listening now, the music and sound effects are gone. Yes, yeah. we've, we've gone back to straight audio. So, be warned, we sound a little different today than we do in what you're about to listen to. Yeah. Enjoy. Uh-huh. Bye. Okay, bye. Thinking Sideways. I don't understand. Stories of things we simply don't know the answer to. Hey, welcome. This is Thinking Sideways, the podcast. I'm Devin. I'm Steve. I'm Joe. And uh, we're going to talk about a mystery. Mm. Ooh, I know it's shocking. Oh, I, I love the mystery. <laughs> <laughs> the mystery I want to talk about is a mystery artifact. Mysterious artifact? Mystery. It's a mystery artifact. Or it's also mysterious. Also mysterious, yeah. yeah. So let's just get started. Sounds In- good. 1938. Wilhelm Koenig. Because I can't say it. Yeah. Curator <laughs> the, of the Baghdad Museum, correct? He's the German director of the National Museum of Iraq. Either unearthed this artifact during an excavation near Baghdad or found it in the basement of the Baghdad Museum. That's kind of what I, what, how I understand it. He just found it laying around the museum. It's and, unclear. Yeah. He claims that he found it on an excavation, but... It seems like he may have just found it in the basement. I think he found it in the basement. Well, I'll tell you. I'll tell you why I think so a little later on. Great. So this mysterious artifact is a terracotta pot that's about five inches tall, and the mouth of it is one and a half inches. Um, it contains a copper cylinder made of roll, uh, like a rolled-up copper sheet, and it houses a single iron rod isolated from the copper by an asphalt plug. Mm-hmm. Or a stopper. They call it a stopper, too. And the rod and cylinder fit snugly into the opening of the jar. And then and the jar is, as Joe said when we were talking about this earlier, kind of shaped like a hand grenade. It mm-hmm. bulges out at the edges. It's not straight up and down. Or it's not cylindrical. It's yeah. not a cylinder. It's It bulges. And it's not watertight. So if the jar were filled with liquid, everything would be surrounded including the rod. Oh, everything goes into the rod and is submerged. Uh-huh. Um, initially, they dated these objects to objects to be about 2,000 years old, which would put it in like 250 BCE to 250 CE. Okay. Common era and before common era. So uh-huh. in case anybody's wondering. Um, and they're called the Baghdad batteries. <sighs> hmm. Whoa. Because they're pretty sure they're the first instance of batteries. Mm-hmm. Weird. So, yeah, and so that's what they ran their iPods off of, I assume? Yeah, pretty yeah. much, yeah. 
No. So they did actually conduct an electrical current, which is kind of interesting. The copper and iron, they form what's called an electrochemical couple um, so that if any kind of electrolyte containing liquid were exposed to them, they would make an electric charge Mm -hmm. of voltage of some kind. I think they... Did some experiments and like reconstructing those and they got one point one volts out of them. I think. Yeah, they actually they reproduced these. They did a couple reproductions of these because obviously you don't test it in like the two thousand year old pot. Yeah, that seems right? like a bad idea. Yeah, yeah. Um, and they filled it with grape juice, mm-hmm. which is apparently has a lot of electrolytes in it. Well, it's acidic. Yeah. Why so not, why not Gatorade? Because they thought grape juice, also they had grape juice back then. So it would be a pretty good representation of something they might have used. And it produced two volts mm-hmm. um, with the grape juice, which is, you know, not a lot, mm-hmm. but it's something. It's some kind of charge. It's a charge mm-hmm. of yeah. some kind. So, you know, one of the big questions that people have about this is how could ancient Persian science have kind of grasped the ideas of electricity? But I think really the the best answer to that is you don't really have to know how something works to know that it works. Oh, well, that's how a lot of things in history are discovered is yeah. you go, oh, look at that. Pure accident, how did it happen? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I have no idea, but it totally yeah. works but every totally, time. It works reliably. Yeah. So I think that we can just kind of ignore that question, in my mind at least. Well, yeah, it sort of begs the question. I mean, it could have been, it could have produced electrical current, but the question is, is what do you do with it? That is exactly the question. Yeah, what do you do with it? So there are a lot of theories on this. One suggestion was pain-killing. Greeks from, you know, again, way before this time, would talk about the pain-killing attributes of electrical fish, like electrical eels, Mm -hmm. etc. If they were in pain, they would use those, and it would help dull the pain. Apparently, and that's kind of like when you when you've got you know if you've ever gone to a chiropractor and you have back problems, mm-hmm. they'll put the, uh, little electrodes on your back and run a little current through you to help mm-hmm. ease things off. I think it mm-hmm. relaxes your muscles. Yeah, if, if you've got something that's knotted or yeah. very tense, and that that extra current seems mm-hmm. to make it let go and, and relax, and then yeah. it hurt so much. Yeah, yeah. They, actually, they actually make like portable versions of those too. Like that's like old family friend of my parents years ago. He had serious back issues. I mean, really bad. And so he actually had this, this little pack that he carried around with him and it was wired into, a, you know, into his back. And it was like, he could just, you know, if he was feeling a little pain, he could just turn it up a little bit, you know? And I was like, and I, and I asked him about it. I said, like, is it like, would you say kind of addictive? I mean, when you crank that thing, you know, does it really feel awesome? And he says, yeah, kind of does. You know, yeah. <laughs> kind of like, yeah I can. But anyway, yeah. I, we're getting way off Well, no, here. but I mean, it, but, it shows that, you know, electricity does uh-huh. kind of have that effect in, in small doses, obviously, yeah. not large doses. But It could also have been used for interrogation because imagine the intimidation effect if, you know, if the, you know, the interrogator says, I will, I'll, I'll use this battery and I will run 1.1 volts through your doorknobs. <laughs> I mean, that would be intimidating. I, mean, well, I would be intimidating. You yeah. know, the thing is, is that like, it turns out two volts is like not a lot. I mean, so everybody Everybody's done this experiment, right, with like a nine volt battery. Yep. And you like put it on your tongue, and it doesn't feel great, but it also isn't that painful. Mm. It's nine more volts, startling. It turns out is not 
it's not that much. Um, no, so it's th- also a function of current, though. It's not just, I mean, nine volts can hurt you at a high current, but, you know. Sure, sure. At a low current now. You know, a current like these are producing, it, it's not really going to do anything. And no. they also talk about there's a lot of records of ancient Persians using things like cannabis and opium and wine for painkillers, which are all like way more effective. Uh, yeah, they're much more yes. powerful. <laughs> than like a two volt little like battery situation. So do you think that they, you know, used to really use them for pain or do you think they were just no, wanting to get think high? They did. There are other suggestions that they used this to power something. Mm-hmm. Right? And I think this is one of the more interesting theories. Uh, cause two volts isn't a lot, but two volts is a lot when you've got like 20 of them. Mm-hmm. Uh huh. Right. Yeah, you put them in series. But, but you, they've only yeah. found the one, correct? Yes. So we don't know if there's been more, if there was a bunch of them put together. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So Go ahead. we don't I'm know sorry. that. And the other, the other, well, then the other problem that they have is that they've never discovered any wires. This is a big problem that scientists have. They say, well, we didn't discover any wires within. It's like, okay, first of all, where did you discover this one mm-hmm. standalone battery, right? Because maybe there are a bunch of wires. Maybe. Two, but- it's been 2,000 years. Copper corrodes pretty quickly. Yeah. I just feel like a thin qu- copper wire isn't going to make it 2,000 years in the ground. Maybe not, but well, that was, and this gets back to what I was going to referring to a little bit earlier about Wilhelm Koenig mm-hmm. and possibly being the person who dug this up, and I don't think it was, because apparently the records, you know, generally speaking, archaeologists, when they dig something up, they keep very meticulous notes about mm-hmm. exactly where everything was found in relationship to everything else. Mm-hmm. And apparently, whoever dug this battery up or whatever this thing is didn't really do that. So it was more of an amateur thing. Somebody just, some treasure hunter found it maybe and mm-hmm. wound up donating it to the museum. And then Wilhelm, who was curator of the museum, just stumbled across it in the basement in a box somewhere. But yeah, since whoever dug it up didn't really document the site as carefully as he should have, then who knows? Maybe there were a few wires maybe. like there were. Yeah, so maybe maybe there were a few were. other batteries laying around. Who knows? Yeah, might not have even recognized them for what they were. Yeah, maybe he thought they were like trails of centipedes or something. Yeah. Or you know, maybe, yeah. We know. But, you know, that kind of begs the question of like <laughs> what, you know, they're not charging their iPods, right? Yeah, yeah I know. <laughs> you know, so what were they maybe trying to charge? And um, Yeah, somebody tried to claim that they actually used these batteries to power lights. To yeah, power, actually. Like tunnel lights. This is exactly what I was going to say. But again, no evidence has been found of anything resembling a light bulb. Well, they and, have the one evidence, one piece of like kind of shaky evidence they have is this relief, a hieroglyphic relief inside of a pyramid. They call it the Deandra bulb. And it looks... It actually looks like a bulb. Like a light bulb? Like a light bulb. Kind of. Like Are you talking about that, that thing at the right? Yes, the big the big long cylinder that's mm-hmm. in this image that we'll we'll put up. But I yeah, I I, I could see that, it that is could a, be. interpreted as a light bulb based on our understanding of mm-hmm. them. Mm-hmm. But we don't have an understanding of what that could have represented culturally or contextually at the time. Well, I can tell you what scientists, like actual scientists, Okay, yes, think. please. They say it it's a bunch of hooey? No, they think, so the squiggly line right here. In the middle of it. Yeah, is the Nile slash a snake. And then this is a little lotus flower. Mm-hmm. So it's talking about fertility and like continued ah. human life. Ah, that makes so it's sense. a completely a different representation than mm-hmm. people have ascribed to it. It does look like mm-hmm. a light bulb. Let's be fair. It does yeah, kind of it look does. like a light bulb. Maybe, yeah, maybe. But, but 
not enough. I mean, you know, it's one instance, and it can it can be explained in other ways. It could be a giant hot dog. For all we know, it could be. You're right. So, um, you know, the thing they talk about with those though is that, according to some people, you can't actually take a torch, a lit torch, into the deepest parts of a pyramid because there's not enough oxygen for the fire to keep going. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. So the big problem is how did they light the inside of that if a torch won't keep burning? True. Um, That's a good point. And they, they've said they've done some experiments where people tried to use like mirrors to light the way, but the light diffuses too quickly for them to actually get it into any kind of depth of, sec- of significance. So, you know, that's the kind of the the idea behind needing a light bulb. And I guess, yeah, okay, I understand that, but I just don't think... This is the only place we've found this specific mm-hmm. illustration mm-hmm. or relief of it. And mm. you would think that if somebody did this kind of stuff, that idea would have been documented more than one drawing. Mm-hmm. I agree. Yeah. And I think you would have found more, especially inside of a pyramid, right? If you're excavating a pyramid, there would be these things in the innermost chambers. That would make sense. You would assume, right? You would think, and there'd be wires and stuff like that. You would just, you would leave it there. And plus, you know, I mean, there, there, are, there are ways to ventilate your pyramid, even back in those days. I mean, there were probably were, were ventilator shafts that probably over the years got filled in mm-hmm. and plugged. Probably, but, you know, you can, you, but you can, you can build a ventilator shaft, build a fire underneath it, and it'll send a draft up that. It'll suck out. It'll basically create a nice draft and bring in nice fresh air for you. So your mm-hmm. torches will stay lit. Yeah, so, I think you know, so it's entirely possible they they probably had something like that going on. Mm-hmm. I would guess. Yeah, and probably when they were all done and they had it all filled in and all you know the perils all all put to rest and everything like mm-hmm. that, they might have just gone ahead and plugged up the, the vent hole just for security. Yeah, that would make total so, sense. Yeah. Yeah, I think, you know, so. there are definitely ways to explain away. Mm-hmm. Or they just, you yeah. know, ancient aliens and flashlights. Yeah. They had flashlights. Yep, ancient LEDs. Ancient yeah. <laughs> so another yeah. theory is that they use these batteries for electroplating. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, I read about this. and Yeah. This, I, this was a kind of a weird one to, to figure out. I had to do a bunch of research on exactly how electroplating works. Yeah? That's really that's that's kind of a tough one. To, what'd you, how'd you mm-hmm. what'd you find out? Well, the way I understand electroplating is that if you've got, let's say, gold and silver in a substrate, mm-hmm. uh, let's just use vinegar because that's an easy one for us all. It works relatively well. Sure. If I understand how it's working, is that it's and correct me if I'm wrong. If you know, if either of you know better, is that yeah. it's kind of at the molecular level, it breaks some of the gold on the exterior down that's in the solution, and it's attracted to the piece of silver, and then it bonds to that, and that uh-huh. process continues so that you're shuttling at a very, very thin level, little bits at a time. So it's not a fast process, especially in something as mm-hmm. as small as that is, mm-hmm. or if you were using grape juice or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Because it's the pH isn't that high, and it's it's just what it is. Mm-hmm. It doesn't do a good job. But electroplating is is kind of a it's just a, such a scientific process. We figured it out with the eighteen hundreds. I think we finally got a good bead on how to electroplate things. Yeah, I'm not yeah. sure exactly when that we developed that kind of technology. I know I mean, it was in the eighteen hundreds. I mean, that certainly is to me is a more believable theory than powering electrical devices like light sure. bulbs. You know, but from BBC Radio Four. Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, 
We've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Yeah, so I, uh, you know, I also did a lot of research on electroplating because it is, it's kind of like a weird thing to get your head around. And what I came up with in my research was that while, yes, something like this could be potentially used for electroplating, there's no actual evidence of anything from this time being electroplated. Mm -hmm. Everything from this time has very visible signs of more conventional ways of, you know, plating things. Mm -hmm hammering them together. I think that's what they mm-hmm. usually do. Is they would they'd hammer it into a thin sheet yeah. Yeah. and then hammer the two together and bond them guilt through plating. Force. They call it guilt plating that's or doing mercury gilding, which is basically just like putting like putting them both in mercury and melting them together mm-hmm. without any kind of electric current or anything like that. Right. Sounds a lot more basic and simple and easy. Yeah, they yeah. totally are. And you know, that's those are the only ways we've ever found anything from this time period. But I did happening. I did find it funny. I, one of the articles and, and that and I don't remember exactly where I found it was saying that if this thing was used to electroplate gold onto other objects, so it's a mm-hmm. cheaper way of making all of your gold effigies and everything like that, or mm-hmm. your your gold trinkets that the pharaoh or whoever has, mm-hmm. that there could be all of this supposed pure gold in museums that's actually electroplated stuff. It's, nah. it's not actually gold. It's silver, or copper, or whatever that then has the gold on top that, of it. This yeah, very thin funny. micron sheet. And yeah. Mm-hmm. As old Although, as those things are, I don't buy it. Yeah, no, it would have worn off by now, but all, at least in places. But also, I mean, it would be quite obvious if something was like, say, silver plated with gold because it wouldn't weigh nearly enough. Yeah. Because, yeah. Yeah, because gold's a lot denser. Exactly. So, yeah. Yeah, so I, th- I'm not I think too stressed about that. I don't think I don't really accept it. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't buy that one. I'm gonna skip the next theory because it's my favorite one and go on to like the more mundane, sciencey, m- okay. boring McBoar boar. Let's have more right, theories. So there's two boring McBoars. One is that these jars were containers to hold papyrus scrolls. Mm-hmm. Okay. Actually, I think that that's the most believable one. <laughs> it is. I yeah. mean, it's pretty believable. Yeah. Um, in March of 2012, this Iraq archaeologist named Professor Elizabeth Stone, she's um, a professor at the Stony Brook University, went on the first archaeological expedition in Iraq um, for 20 years. Mm-hmm. And she did. She was doing an interview on NPR during which they were taking phone callers, and somebody called in and was like, "What about the Baghdad batteries? Tell us about those." And her response was to say that she didn't know anybody who believed a single archaeologist who believed that they were actually batteries. Okay, 
So I, I think that we've we've missed a bit of information that that everybody's going to want to know, which is we, we're saying that they put grape juice or whatever it is. Now, when they found them, they said they had traces of some kind of acidic compound, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. like grape juice mm. in them. Right. So it, the theory is that it was the papyrus that disintegrated and coated the walls. Okay. And okay. that it could have been the same kind of residue. You know, it was the 30s, the mm. 40s. Okay. So the uh, so obviously whoever whoever excavated this jar was a little careless because they they, pop, they they just popped it, you know, and all this papyrus stuff sort of flaked out, flaked away, you know. And, and they, they went, did, oh, look, it's dusty they just, sand. Yeah, they just turned the jar upside down and shook it out <laughs> and put it back together, <laughs> yeah. you know. You yeah. wouldn't expect that stuff to be in there, but, you know, somebody was a little sloppy. Mm-hmm. So that's, yeah. you know, that's the theory. There's another theory that it's a hoax. Uh-huh. That it's just totally, like, flat out a hoax. And oh, I he think, just made it up. Well, yeah, so, like, there's, to start with, there's the red flag of the inconsistent stories of how mm-hmm. he found it. Right. True. Mm. And then there's um, the problem of age where they say that it was from 250 BCE and after Common Era. But apparently, if you look at the kind of artistic qualities of it, it's more in line with like what happened in 250 CE to like 650 CE, which so is the like style nine. of jar that they made mm-hmm, at that time. Mm-hmm. So it's like a 900 year difference. Uh, yeah, that's a bit of an issue. Um, yeah. So those are two really big so issues. How did they? How did they date it though? Did they date it actually using scientific instrumentation or just by looking at the style of the jar and saying, "Well, the people that built this kind of jar lived this particular time." Yeah, I think you know initially he just said, "Oh, it's." probably from this time. So, no, I, I, I remember reading about this, and the way that I understand it is, as Devin said, is that the 250 CE to 800 or whatever 600, it is, 600 50, CE, yeah. uh, that was all based on the style of the construction of it and, yeah. and the shape and however they quote unquote would have decorated on the outside. Cause it's, it's got grooved lines on the outside. If I'm almost as if somebody had taken a wire brush, it's not smooth. Now mm-hmm. granted it, it, when they found it, it was outside. It was really kind of eroded. So nobody knows exactly what it was adorned with. Yeah. But if I remember correctly, Koenig, William mm-hmm. is his name, right? Okay. Wilhelm. Wilhelm. Uh, <laughs> if I remember right, he was dating it to the time frame he had and I'm pretty sure that he did some kind of analysis that was what was available at the time. You know, they didn't have good radio dating like we have now. No, radio mm. dating is the wrong word. What is it? Carbon, carbon dating. Carbon dating, dating. Kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. But I think it was based on something to do with the metal is how he was dating it, which could be two different things. If you think about it logically, mm-hmm. somebody uh, could have taken a chunk of metal that had been worked years Years and years prior, and been sitting around and just repurposed it mm. into this jar. So they could be from separate time frames, or yeah. the dating just could just be completely off. Yeah, yeah, very true. I mean, I mean that's from. Yeah. I don't think that any. It's it's never been released to be carbon dated. Yeah, so that's the problem. It's a problem. Is this thing still around, by the way? Yeah. 
Yeah, it is. It's supposedly in the museum. That, we, is anybody? Oh, is it in the museum? Apparently. Okay. So I, I mean, it's you know, it's bad. Sure, it didn't get so. sure it didn't get looted back no, in two thousand three. Sure. You know, there like <laughs> yeah. lies the rub. Who knows? So let's go to my absolute favorite theory about this. Okay. Because yeah. I think that it's probably was a battery of some kind. It had a little bit of electric charge to it. Very minuscule, but very some, minuscule some enough to like kind of you would feel it. Mm-hmm. There's this guy, and he's a mel- metallurgy expert of ancient Near East for the British Museum. His name is Dr. Craddock. And he has this theory, which is that um, like a cluster of these batteries connected behind some kind of metal statue or idol mm-hmm. could have been connected to the idol as a sort of um, temple trick. So you go, you go touch the, so you go, zap. so you go like, and you're, it's like a proof of religion sort of situation. Proof of faith. A proof, well, not a proof of faith, a proof of religion, right? So an unbeliever comes to a synagogue or a church or whatever and says, okay, prove to me that your God exists. And the preacher says, okay, if you answer this question correctly, after, when you touch the statue, it will shock you. And if you answer wrongly, it will not shock you. And they are like standing right next to it, right? Things like this are not common at this time, right? Mm -hmm. So they're not going to be suspicious of somebody standing next to this statue. Mm -hmm. So they say, okay, and they answer the question correctly and everything remains connected and they touch the statue and it shocks them. Or they answer incorrectly and the priest just goes boop and like moves the one little connector Flips right? the switch, basically. Flips the switch, essentially, right? And they touch it, and it doesn't shock them. Huh. Mm-hmm. I like it. I like it. So I like cool it theory. a lot. Yeah. You know, maybe there would maybe be a mysterious kind of blue flash of, like, static electricity of some sort. Oh, yeah, that's a great point, because at that time, the static electricity exists, and mm-hmm. everybody will have seen it from time to time. You mm-hmm. don't know what causes it. Yeah. Nobody says, oh, it's static electricity. It's you have no idea what it is, yeah. and there's probably some local folklore name to it. So when, It's God. God is the yeah, local the, folklore You know, this particular <laughs> God has reached out and created this reaction. That ah, That's a good one. Yeah. So, you know, it could have been that. It could have just been like a magician could have been using it. A lot of people made their living kind of traveling around performing miracles and feats mm-hmm. of magic and stuff like that. Kind of a carpetbagger. Yeah. Thing. So, you know, if you could just say, oh, if you touch this magical idol of God, you will get shocked and nobody would have oh. known what that was all about. You know, it, you could, know. it could actually have been for just a sort of a gag thing, too, mm-hmm. like, like a joy buzzer, you know, like, you know, those little things you wear in your hands, you know, to mm-hmm. shock people. Yeah, I mean, there's no reason somebody couldn't have, you know, some ancient king maybe couldn't have said, you know, like, you know, had his, had his courtiers behind him with uh, like 20 of these jars all wired in series that they're carrying, and he's got the wires running down his sleeve to his hand, and he goes to shake your hand and you get zapped, you know, <laughs> yeah. and he has a good chuckle at your expense. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, this is a time when a lot of miracles and mysterious things are being recorded. A lot of mythos happened. A lot of mythos happened in this time. And uh, people were just fanatic for proving that they were telling the truth. And I think that people would go to kind of any lengths to prove that they were telling the truth. And, you know, having this little kind of kind of carpet trick, it's a tiny little battery, super easy to be concealed. You don't need that many of them. 
two volts is enough. You touch something that's metal and you're not expecting any kind of electrical current. You feel a slight tingling of your hand and other people are doing it or feeling the same thing. That's enough. You know, for a lot of people in a time like this, that's enough. Well, and it's not something you're used to. Well, you don't expect it. You don't know what's going to happen. And here's the the one thing that I find so funny about there's okay. I'm not, I I don't ascribe to it being a battery per se, mm-hmm. and I, I but I don't really know what this thing is for. This is one of those you know ah it can be this it can be that. Yeah. It's just so long. There's so little data on mm-hmm. it. But what I find so funny is that everybody just flocks to, if it was a battery, where are the wires? There's no holes coming out of the top of it for the wires. And the, you know, they sealed it with bitumen, which is basically asphalt. Yeah. yeah. It's naturally occurring asphalt. So it seals it. So it's got to have the wires to make the connection. Well, there's, there's no, there's no holes for the connection. Okay. Well, it's found outside and what does asphalt do when it sits in the sun? It gets hot and mm-hmm. it melts and it distorts. So if some yo-yo came along and found this and yanked the wires out to use them in something else and then tossed it on the ground and it sits in the sun for a couple of years, mm-hmm. the holes where the wires were at are going to seal themselves up just from expansion and contraction. The thing mm. that I actually saw was um, a theory that they had just like wrapped a little bit of copper around in between where the copper and the asphalt were mm-hmm. so that it would connect to the inside where the sat or where the electricity would be uh-huh. and then you would just put like two little wires on the outside and then the copper would have you know disintegrated or whatever yeah over time but i think you know there are a lot of ways to explain the well, and, where and, were the wires but well, that's, ah. that's the one thing that I, I laugh at is you know i said well somebody somebody took the wire would ever, nobody seems to consider, and I'm not saying I'm the expert on this and that I've got the perfect theory, but it just seems odd to me that nobody says, well, I wonder if anybody messed with this thing and gutted it for the stuff that they wanted. Because as we've talked about on other shows, that's common. Yeah. yeah. You you take materials that are existing and you use them on something else, mm-hmm. which means that it could have had something on the outside, a wire on the inside. Who knows mm-hmm. what it is? And yeah. some guy could have, oh, you know, I could totally use this. Yank. Toss it back in the sand and walk away. Yeah, yeah. totally. The other thing I think is that's possible is that somebody could have just been like you know a scientist inventor type, just experimenting around and and finds this thing that generates a little bit of electricity, and then just thought it over and thought, well, you know, what can I possibly use this for? It's kind of a neat parlor trick, I guess, but really, you know, it's not useful. So he just like sort of chunked it in the, on the junk pile in the backyard. Mm-hmm. And what about is what about to went on to invent the shovel or something else instead? <laughs> but, you know, I mean, so it's like uh, it's entirely possible that that somebody was experimenting around trying to create electricity, but they just had no application for it. Yeah, and so it just went on the junk heap. It's like, well, cool idea, but you know, kind of useless. Use? Yeah, very possible. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I think I think it's the religious or parlor trick situation. I, I think mm. that's a cool idea. Yeah. I just, without having more of them, I can't follow that. That's one. fair. Yeah. yeah. What's your, what do you think? I, I really, the, the thing is, is that this one has got so much conflicting you stuff. You just don't know. Yeah. I just, I, I'm, I'm hesitant to lean towards one because mm-hmm. there's just too many gaps. Just pulling the skeptic card. Wow. I am. Yeah, no, Joe, geez. what do you think? Aliens. Of course. No. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Santa yeah. Claus. No, uh, 
I, I think uh, I, I'm still leaning kind of towards the papyrus, the, the scroll. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Papyrus scroll. That, yeah. I think that's a compelling explanation for I it. I think so, too. If you have theories, if you want to let us know. Hand grenade? Us- no, it's not a hand grenade. <laughs> send us an email. The email address is thinkingsidewayspodcast at gmail.com. Check out our website. We're going to post some links, some pictures. Uh, you can listen to the show there. Or you can, you know, click a little link and email us directly from the site. That website is thinkingsidewayspodcast.com. You can listen to us on iTunes. Uh, if you do listen to us on iTunes, please leave us a comment and a rating. Or either or. Or both. Yeah. Preferably both. Either or. You know. I'm okay with that. I like both. Well, you can't comment without rating, so. Oh. Can't do either or. Oh. Dang it. (laughs) All right. Uh, Then do both, I guess. And if you forget to download us, I know that like. You'll go to hell. Probably aren't going to forget to download us. But if you do and you're on the go and you want to listen, check out Stitcher. We're on Stitcher. Uh, you just listen to it on like literally any smart device, any device that connects to the internet, you can get Stitcher on. Oh, and find us on Facebook. Yes. Oh, we're on yeah, Facebook. That's right. Yes. Keep forgetting about that. Yeah. Anyways, uh, thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next week. Bye guys. So long. From BBC Radio 4. Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. 